Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with our newest team member, Michael Dowsett, or Dow, as the team calls him. Dow is an incredible human being, which you are about to find out after listening to this episode. He has achieved some of the highest highs in his sporting career, having played professional rugby all over the world. So finishing that and looking for a new passion, finding it in business and joining the team at Cub. Dow's mindset, his humility and his passion for what he does is addictive. And trust me, this episode is going to bring you a whole lot of perspective, motivation and a very deep appreciation for Cub's newest team member. That's it. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by one of my favorite new people, Michael Dowsett or Dow, as our team, um, or as I'm sure all your friends affectionately call you. Um, so if members hear us screaming Dow through the clubhouse, we're speaking to Michael, but um, Dow, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's nice to be here. It is. It's weird because we, we've known each other since high school and um, and then one day you stub, stumble into into the, into my DMs on Instagram. <laughs> hey, let's catch up. Know. Yeah, mate. I think uh, you know. I just I'd recently just you know retired and, and transitioned out of out of professional footy, and I thought you know, I'd obviously known you and, and Anthony for a long time, and you know, I didn't necessarily knew what know rather what what Cub did or, or what it was about, but I thought you know coming back in that time, I just wanted to catch up with with anyone that would have a coffee with me. So thankfully, you actually slid back into my DMs, and I thought. <laughs> You know, I'll come in, grab a coffee, uh, you know, have a chat to you. And I think, you know, initially having that conversation, I was very much, I, I think you could tell straight away that, you know, I was craving that almost team-like, you know, family environment around me. And that's something that very much exists in rugby. And and hearing you speak about Cub and, and how passionate you guys are about it, I think, you know, I very much had that impression that that same environment existed with you guys and that's what probably made me go, okay, this could be the place for me. This could be. It's interesting. Like, oh, I didn't really know what Cub was about is what you said. But, but you, you, for some reason you still wanted to reach out or you still – what was it? Was it the fact that, you know, you wanted to um, kind of transition from success in sports to success in business and you, you saw Cub as two guys that you knew from – high school that were doing something and what was it that, what, what, why you didn't even know what it was. So what made you reach out? I think, yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, reaching out to, to everyone's one thing, but reaching out to people that are successful at what they do is another. And I think I saw you and Ant, you know, growing up, you're obviously very successful guys and, you know, to, to learn more about what you're achieving at the moment was something that I was really interested in. And um, what was going through your mind when you walked in? Because obviously you came in, it wasn't a job interview, it was literally just catch up. And I don't know if you know this story, but I was saying to, at that same time, I was sitting uh, with Anthony and Calvin, uh, to, for the listeners who, who aren't members, they're, they're members of our leadership team at Cub and, um, and partners at Cub. And uh, I was sitting with them and I was saying, we just need more people like us. We just need, <laughs> we just need to find someone. We just need more people to expand. We, we can expand so easily. We just need the right people, but they're so hard to find. And then I, I remember I walked out of the club, got in my car, I was driving around the corner and bing, I get a message on Instagram from you. And I was like, holy shit. Thank you, God. Like that was <laughs> just fell in my lap. I actually screenshot it, sent it to 
Anthony and Calvin and Alice. And I said, I think uh, God just answered our my call. Because look, I just got a message from from Dow. And so straight off the bat, in my head, I had uh, Dow's definitely going to be joining this team. I don't care what he's messaging me for. He's, he's definitely joining the team. And when you came in, we, it was just a coffee. We, I don't even know. We, we caught up in the boardroom. What was going through your head when uh, we got in the boardroom and you're like, mm, what's going on here? I think firstly I, I hadn't seen the space. So the, as soon as I walked in, you know, Tara offered me a, a tea or a coffee and, and straight away I was like, wow, that's that's impressive. And then walking through. Walking <laughs> doesn't through, happen at footy. It doesn't, man. No, definitely doesn't. Uh, so, yeah, walking through the club, it's obviously an amazing space. And, uh, you know, when and uh, when and saw you in the boardroom, I think it was like 8 a.m. in the morning, you're already on the phone, you're already writing down a million notes, something unrelated. So, you know, straight away off the bat, I could see that you obviously loved what you did, but you obviously worked incredibly hard to achieve what we're achieving at the moment. And, um, and yeah, and, and the conversation was really just more, you were actually saying, hey, I, I think I want to start my own thing. I want to do something around sports, but I've never done any business before. And I, I just don't know, you know, I, I just would love to talk to you about your journey in starting Cub. And, um, and in my head, I was like, no, no, no. Dow has to be part of this team. I was like, yeah, you could do that, but look, it's 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 just a it's a lot of stuff. You should join this team, and in, we're already established. You can achieve what you want, and we can do it together. And um, and uh, so in my head, I was like, okay, we need Dow on this team. He's he's ideal. And so thank the Lord that that uh, that you joined because it's already been an amazing. Uh, how long has it been? I think this is my my sixth month, my sixth anniversary. Yeah, today, it's pretty yeah. cool. Well, it's, it's, it's it's felt like you've been on the team for forever since the beginning. But but actually, I don't want to speak so much about carbon. Your experience with the club, um, you're an incredibly successful person uh, outside of Cub, despite a Cub and before Cub, and you've got incredible lessons. Ha- having achieved some of the highest levels of achieve that you can achieve in sports, uh, you've had a ton of experience with. Uh, teams, cultures, leaderships, and all the different styles of the above. And, and I really want to dive uh, – I want to pick your brain about that, but I want to just hear your story and about sports because did you find – so it was rugby that you, you excelled in. Was that a passion from – as a child or, or how did that – How did that? tell us the story. Yeah, I think I was one of those those lucky people that you know grew up with the thought in their mind, okay, I want to play professional rugby for you know as long as I could remember and – you know, there was almost not not obsessed because that makes you sound like a weird eight-year-old kid walking around with a rugby ball, but I, I kind of was that kid, you know, always going to school, rugby ball in my hand, out on the weekend, rugby ball in my hand, sitting in bed at night with a rugby ball in my hand. Really? So, yeah, it was <laughs> one of those things where it's all I ever wanted to do and, you know, I was incredibly lucky to achieve that. Like anything in life, I think there's a little bit of, I guess, luck attached to that and I, I certainly was lucky in that, in, in that aspect. I think I played a, a really good game when I was about 19, 20 and a guy that, which is incredibly cool for me, a guy that actually had kind of like hung up on my wall when I was little, Stephen Larkin was there and he watched the game and he was actually there to watch one of the other boys play but, you know, asked our coaches who we used to play with, you know, who's that Who's that guy? And they were kind of like, oh, it's, it's Dow, it's blah, blah, blah. I kind of, you know, I wasn't necessarily the person that was, you know, going to go and play professional rugby but I was certainly the person that was going to, I guess, work my ass off to achieve that. And, and mate, luckily he he took a chance on me and I spent that, that first four years of my career down in Canberra, which has its moments down there in Canberra, but I think our group, uh, the group of guys that we had down there, were incredibly close, were incredibly dedicated to achieving special things down there, and so have, you know, my first in environment in the professional setting of footy to be that place in particular was was just incredible for me. I think, you know, straight away you're introduced to mentors 
like, like Nick White, still the Australian halfback to date. And I think, you know, everything I learned and how I learned to play rugby is, you know, can be pretty much attributed to him and, and what he taught me. But, the, you know, you'd start games down there with, you know, the other 14 guys on the field with you are, are representing their country, everyone except you. So I guess the, the pressure to perform, you know, the, the pressure to, you know, repay the face shown in you by, by a coach like Stephen Larkham, that was came with pressure but it also, I think, you know, Moulded me almost into the the person I am today. What do you mean they were representing their country? They were from different countries, or no? So I guess the, the for, for anyone that's not as uh, invested in rugby as yeah, I am, I'm or, not. So you're gonna have to explain <laughs> everything to me. So yeah, the way the kind of system works, there's there's five teams within Australia: so Canberra, New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, and and WA. So you play in that competition, uh, and from there you pick the, you get picked for the Wallabies if you're good enough. So it's kind of the the second highest level of, of professional footy you can achieve, certainly in this country. So uh, whilst everyone's Australian, doesn't mean that everyone on the field is, is playing for Australia. Okay. And and when you got chosen, like, sorry, when you got spotted by um, uh, Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> when you got spotted by Stephen, you, what team were you playing on? Was it like a school team? Was it like a, just a regional team? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, the kind of, I guess, tier below that is called the Shoot Shield. So uh, – all, out, all, all throughout Sydney, I think there's 13 teams. So I played for Northern Northern Sydney. So obviously North Shore boy like yourself uh, was playing for them. So obviously East have a team this side and you, you kind of play an 18-game competition during the season and, and most of the time that Sydney competition in particular will actually filter out and, and be the main kind of breeding ground for that super rugby, that next level. And so, you, so Stephen wasn't there to watch you. He was no. there to see someone else. But just by luck... Well, it wasn't by, but by luck he was there, but it wasn't by luck that you just played like a weapon and probably from hard work, training, dedication. And, 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 um, and I, I guess it's just a cool thought because it's, you know, it, you can't just turn it on when you think you need to turn it on. You just need to be on whenever you're doing the thing you love, the thing you, you're trying to achieve on. You have to be on all the time because if you weren't on that game and Stephen was there, you may not have had the career or at least have started as soon as you did um, if you hadn't been on all the time. So it, it's just kind of like a good lesson. Like it doesn't matter if, it's, uh, if you're tired, if you're, if you're not in the mood, you, you've got to be there. Whatever you're doing, you're working hard, you, you're playing rugby, whatever it is, you're a fucking gymnast, whatever you're doing. If you're doing it, do it, you know, do yeah, it all 100%. the time. Yeah, without a doubt. I think, you know, even like lots of people have listened to that kind of Michael Jordan documentary. I've even heard you say this a lot. You know, if, if you love something, if you're so wholeheartedly passionate about something, then it's not going to feel like hard work in the first place. So you're just going to no, – no, playing rugby never felt like hard work for me. It just felt like I was doing what I loved as much as I could possibly do it. So if you're doing that, there's an opportunity that comes by, then, you know, you're probably more likely to take it. That's interesting. So it didn't feel like hard work, but, but I'm assuming it was difficult. You know, and so was was it more just that you enjoyed the hard, you know, that that it was hard. It, what, I'm sure it was hard work. It didn't feel like it, but was it? Are you saying that you enjoyed? You were enjoying the difficulty of it. You were enjoying how hard you had to work to achieve it. Yeah, I think the 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 whole challenge of it. You know, we're obviously very competitive people, myself and you, and and most people in general. I think then that that competitive instinct to. You know, I was a bit of a late bloomer at school as well, so you know, to, to start playing after school and, and see it kind of that, that gap between me and the rest of people kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and when you're kind of achieving little wins like that, that you know, it's, it's very easy to keep working hard because you're seeing results. You're seeing yourself, you know, transition from one sort of person or one side of player to, you know, a completely different version of yourself. And 
And whilst it sounds a bit strange, it's almost addictive. So the, the working hard part of it is like you, you wear that as a badge of honour. I'm, I'm going to work harder than you. I don't, I, don't, I don't care how much work you're doing in a day, I'm going to do more. I love that. I agree with that too. I actually saw an article on social media, like all the dumb shit I see on social media. This one dumb article was, oh, people shouldn't wear – uh, working long hours as a badge of honour. It should be about balance. I'm like, yeah, all right, if you want to achieve nothing, it should be about balance. <laughs> like that's great. But if you want to achieve something great, then you, there is sacrifice with achieving, with achieving something. You have Absolutely, to sacrifice yeah. other elements of your life. You have, whatever you focus on is, gonna, is, is what's going uh, to work, is what's going to happen. And if the reality is you can live a balanced life. It doesn't mean it's a bad life. It's, it could be an amazing life. It's probably an even happier life anyway. But – you're not going to be special, not in terms of being able to achieve one thing to the highest level. You know, that's not balance. That's, that's like you're saying, it's obsession. That's going to sleep at night. You were, you were sleeping with a football next to you. I was sleeping with a notepad. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing. I don't, I don't want balance. Balance takes my eye off the prize. I, I want just the prize. <laughs> I, I'm looking at that motherfucker saying, come here. I want you. And, and yeah, that's, right. that's, 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 that's really cool. And so you're in Canberra. Yep. Um, you're playing there. What, what what was the team culture like there? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Brumbies down in Canberra have one of the best high-performing cultures in the world. Like I think, you know, if you're going to put maybe one program in the entire world over the top of them, it might be, you know, the, the team in Christchurch in New Zealand, the Crusaders. But, you know, the Brumbies have a reputation for, for taking someone that, you know, the, the history of the club is usually that every reject from New South Wales went down to Canberra. But, the, you know, you look at history, the, the Brumbies are the team that's won the most in Australia – you know, that, that almost chip on your shoulder mentality is very much at the forefront of every single player down there. So, you know, that, that, that environment in itself, it was, you know, we were not necessarily, you know, 30 rejects, but, you know, 30 people that had a point to prove, 30 people with an incredible kind of program and system around them. And, and when you kind of put those bits and pieces in place with the right people, you're obviously going to achieve what you want to achieve and, and certainly something that we, you know, see daily at Cup. And you're not a big guy, definitely <laughs> no. not for a footy player. <laughs> and you, you're playing with some monsters. So how did that? How does that work for you? How, you know, were you always seen as the smaller guy? Were you? I mean, you're not a small guy. You, you're much bigger than myself. But I'm not <laughs> on a professional football team, so it's different. Um, how were you able to conquer that? Um, that uh, I mean, you could call it that point that difference. I was going to call it a weakness, but it's definitely not because you would have turned it into a strength. Yeah, I think you you almost saved a little bit in terms of your size by the position I played in particular. So, you know, halfback, you're kind of in behind the line. If someone breaks through, then it's your job to stop them. But in terms of that, you know, initial brute force, you, you kind of saved from that a little bit. But I think, you know, what halfbacks are known for, and just you ask anyone that knows anything about rugby, they will say this, that they have this almost, like we said, obsessive work ethic and, and their position-specific skill set in particular is the most important thing. So you have to pass and kick the ball you know, better than anyone else on your team. So for me, being a smaller guy, and my fitness was one thing. So if you're small, you better be able to run. So obviously I had to take that part of things seriously. But I think, you know, my ability to, to perform my role in particular within the team was incredibly important and you know, probably was what was able to – I guess enable me to play over nine years was that I could pass and kick a ball better than most people. But and and obviously, what was the practice regime to achieve that? Yeah, we. How were you? <laughs> yeah. How were you? How how did you become the best? Because it sounds simple, oh, the best at passing and kicking, but to be the best at j- even just like a single action, like a pass, like you, how many times do you have to throw that ball? 
you know. Yeah, I remember thinking when I was little, it used to be, I think it's, it's changed now, but the, the idea used to be you have to do 10,000 hours of practice for something to be an expert or to be autonomous at that type of skill. So, and, and whether that's normal for an 11-year-old kid to be thinking that, I don't, I don't know. But for, in my mind, it was I'm going to pass a rugby ball at anyone who will catch it or anything that will stop it. So imagine how many windows I broke uh, you know, how many balls I've lost, how many I actually broke my mum's finger once. So like just anyone that would be willing to, to catch a pass for me or, or catch a kick or, or what have you, uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I went about it. And what do you think it was that your team uh, respected about you the most at, in Canberra? I know it's hard for you to say because it's you talking about you, but, but you know, I'm, I'm sure you have some sort of sense of realisation as to uh, awareness as to what your team would have respected most about you. Yeah, that's – I've never really thought of that. I think maybe – I won't say my ability to be a team player because that's so open-ended. Maybe it was, you know, particularly when I was younger and like I said, the, the guy that was the guy that was starting down there was was the best halfback in the country, probably the best halfback in the world. So, you know, my ability to, to I guess, park my ego and, and still compete and challenge him but also to know my place, to know, okay, maybe it's not my role to start this week. Maybe it's my role to, to get the guys coming off the bench firing or maybe it's my role to – you know, ensure the culture of everything's everyone's happy and enjoying themselves before we go into you know an eighty minute battle against someone. So I think yeah, just my ability to to perform my role and and whatever that might be because you know it doesn't matter if you're you know, the twenty three guys selected on the weekend. There's there's a squad of forty of us. So you know whatever whatever the role is, big or small, you've you've got to perform it. And if you do, then you know success is going to follow. Yeah, that's an interesting concept too because your role is not just to play that position when you're on the field. You know, you, you, it's basically your mindset is to bring value no matter where I am and what I'm doing on this team. It's exactly. to bring value, yeah. whether it be morale or whether it be make make people laugh or you know, whatever, it clean up, I guess, yep. whatever it is, it's just bring value. And, and so that's always been something that's very important. I mean, that's certainly something I see that you do you do at Cub um, exceptionally well. And, and I reckon there would be a lot of cross uh, pollination or whatever the word would be, cross benefits <laughs> that you know that you that you apply from sports to, to business that that I definitely want to talk to you about later. But so, would you say that that Canberra that the Brumbies were um, a fundamental um, a fundamental experience in terms of you understanding a strong team culture, leadership, and giving you the basis to then progress even further? Absolutely, I think you know, unknowingly or unintentionally, you're spending four years in an environment that has worked so seamlessly, so efficiently that when you go to other places, you actually, you know, it's that whole thing of, you know, the grass might not actually be greener on the other side. So as soon as you get the perspectives of, of clubs all around the world, which I was lucky enough to do, you, you understand that uh, there's a couple of systems in place here that could really use some fixing. Like I know you don't want to be that guy that's, you know, oh, Canberra did this, the Brumbies did that. But at the same time you see some, you know, you see – systems and, and whatnot in place that, that aren't working. And it's a kind of an easy change, but it's it's a tough one for some teams, I think. And so h- how did you leave the Brumbies or why? I think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd spent four years there. Usually the, the cycle, the way it will go is, you know, you're kind of kicking on into bigger and better things. So you might be, you know, playing for your country or being one of the guys that the Brumbies have a fantastic track record of producing Wallabies, the, the national team. So I probably got to a point where, you know, I, I wasn't there yet. Okay, and, and that's not embarrassing for me to say. I think that there was a there was a guy underneath me uh, that they thought would be a, a better fit. So you know, to stay would have been less money, less opportunity. And and thankfully, I had you know a couple of opportunities over in uh, over in the UK because because mum and dad are English uh, by definition. So I got the chance to 
to, I guess, progress my career and be able to go and, and travel the world, which was a fantastic experience as well. And so you actually got, so you got, did you get scouted for uh, an English, for England or for an English team or how, how did, how, what was the actual process? Yeah, so I guess everyone's got a got an agent, so to speak. So yeah, your agent kind of you know, puts feelers out to see whether uh, anyone would be interested in you. And, and obviously being a someone coming from a club like the Brumbies, so that, that reputation I speak about is known all around the world. So you know, coming from that team in particular, you, you're quite attractive to other teams. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to sign with the team I did, uh, the Worcester Warriors over there in England, and, and that's kind of where my career went to from there. And before we move to England, before we start talking about that, what, what would you say the greatest lesson you took from the Brumbies is? Maybe your ability, I think, to – and whilst I said, you know, performing your role within a team is incredibly important, that's not to say I got it right every time. So I think your ability to be able to, you know, park your ego, be humble – not grow into this, oh, I've been here for four years, I'm so entitled, that attitude is toxic within a team. So I think the biggest lesson I learned was that, you know, be able to take yourself out of the situation and look at the situation for what it is. So you know, whether you're upset about something or whether your ego is a bit, you know, cut, you know, don't let that affect the sort of person you are and certainly don't let it affect the, the sort of player that you are. Almost like humility? Is that yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. You, if you're going to carry yourself like you're a rock star but you're not performing like one, then you're, you're the worst, you know, addition to a team ever. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's almost like you've always got to look at yourself as, even if you're the best player, you've got to look at yourself as, hey, I could be better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you, you, you've got to want to, and you hear it a lot from our members, that ability to evolve, I guess, year on year or month on month, week on week. You, you know, if you stay still, you stay the same, then you know, you're not going to achieve those things that we spoke about. And so you're in England now. Uh, you've you're obviously extremely close to your Canberra team. You, you I'm, uh, the way you speak about them is very affectionate, and uh, I'm sure you had strong bonds. You're very comfortable there. Like you've been there four years. All of a sudden, you realize my time here's come to an end. I'm going to look for a new a, a new opportunity. You, I, I can't imagine what it's like being picked out of one team that you you know you've been to war with so many times and placed in a new one. How was that transition process for you? Yeah, I think yeah. Initially, you know, I lived with with two guys for you know, my my whole four years there, and I'm still incredibly close with them today. And you know, just you know, knowing that you've got it, you know, you're packing your life up and you're you're moving overseas like that. That initial, you're right. That kind of you don't have that those bonds that you made. Whilst they never go away, you're not waking up on a daily basis and, and going to war or going to work with them anymore. Like that, that that was tough to to take initially. But you know, with every I guess with, with one kind of book that closes, another opens and, and your ability to make those friendships and those bonds is going to continue but in a different country in a kind of different different atmosphere and, and I guess the way it works over there, the, the teams are full from, full of people from all over the world. So it's not just Australians. There's Australians, Kiwis, English people, um, you know, Tongans, Samoans. There's, it's a very kind of wide mix. We had a guy that played for Georgia in our team. So it's very, uh, yeah, very diverse. So it's a, it's a whole new experience in itself. And, and so you arrived there, but back back to my question, what was the experience like? How, how do you, are they welcoming as soon as you get there? Do you feel a sense that you have to prove yourself? You know, you've moved across the world, you're in, thrown in a team of people you've never met and, you know, you have to be one with the team. What was the actual feeling like? What was the what was the experience like? Yeah, I think you're spot on. The, the, the need or the you know, idea of proving yourself is certainly there straight away. So you think... You know, whilst my reputation was one thing and maybe, you know, the success we achieved that the Brumbies is another, but, you know, actually making sure that your first impression and, and proving yourself is, is, you know, that's that's very much at the forefront of your mind as soon as you get there. But in terms of, I guess, feeling welcomed and whatnot, that's probably 
and without being too negative, I think that's something that a lot of teams could could learn lessons in the ability to make someone feel welcome when they first get there. That that was certainly a divide I felt, you know, initially moving there. But that's not to say that you know, the Brumbies did everything perfectly because they didn't. Okay, and and so it, how long did it take until you were kind of settled in? It was interesting because I got off the plane. Uh, I got off the plane and played about four days later. So it was like that's almost a, I, was, I think it was a blessing in disguise. It was almost just like cool, throw yourself in the deep end, uh, see, like sit, let's see how you go sort of thing because I think the, the halfback at the time got injured. Uh, they were like, mate, you've got to play. I was like, I'm still so fucking jet lagged but, yeah, okay, let's do it sort of thing. So I think being dropped in straight away and actually had a really good game that first game, that, that kind of proving yourself and that respect came, you know, quite naturally. Mm. And how long were you at England for? About two and a half years, two and a half years. And from England you went? So from England I took a contract opportunity to, to play over in Japan. So, again, completely different competition, team, culture, everything was and, – and that's such a unique uh, rugby, I guess, competition over there and that every single team is actually, you know, a company. So you're, you're considered a company employee for Toyota, Canon, Panasonic, uh, you know, all these different kind of Japanese – household name. So I was actually playing for a team called called Canon and, and half your team is uh, 50% Japanese and, and the rest are kind of foreign marquee players, so to speak. So because that's the law, isn't it? That's Japan forces 50-50, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So you can only have a certain amount of foreigners on the field at one time. So I guess having that balance of of guys that have, you know, like I said, I've had a rugby ball in my bed since I was six years old. I, I don't think the Japanese guys have. So your ability to, you know, you, inadvertently thrown into a bit of a leadership role. You've got to help these guys around you. You've got to kind of get them on the same page as you. And and when that's done successfully, you, you know, you see a, it's, it's a pretty cool rugby competition over there. That's a whole nother experience then, isn't it? Yeah. You've got half your team are probably not on the level of the the people that they've imported in, you know, the, the people that have been in footy their whole lives. And you almost have to carry, not carry, but you almost have to lift and strengthen this the Japanese players in the sense. And is there any favoritism towards the Japanese? Is, is it a weird – does it work? Um, some, sometimes. The, the teams that do it really successfully, it's like the, the Panasonics, the Suntories, the Toyotas, they, they do it fantastically. And I think, you know, you for, it kind of goes back to what we're speaking about. For the, for the foreign guys, you've got to buy into it wholeheartedly. So you've got to be willing to learn Japanese because when – it's the 60th minute of game and you're incredibly fatigued and you're trying to control people. They don't know what you're saying because they don't <laughs> speak that much. They don't speak that much English and you don't speak that much Japanese. So there's already that divide in terms of, I guess, being on the same page. So that's your that's your biggest challenge. Like rugby's rugby, but the, the challenge of making sure that communicating. Yeah, communicating with each other. It's, it's that is that is the toughest part. Yeah, the fundamental most yeah. important thing of, of of sports. And did you find that it helped you communicate without words better? You almost learnt more, I don't know, a new way to communicate or no, you you really needed to brush up on your Japanese. I was doing I think I was in I was initially I was doing about 2 to 3 lessons per week, so I could speak a little bit, but again, as soon as you're fatigued, the, uh, your brain kind of goes out the window a little bit. So I think you end up almost gesturing and pointing a little, <laughs> almost pushing people into place physically uh, or just kind of, I guess, solving the problem yourself. But, yeah, it's it's the biggest challenge over there for sure. Yeah, I guess what's, what was the greatest lesson you took from that? I think as corny as it sounds, probably 
you know, being empathetic to other people. So like, you know, if someone's not on the same page as you, you know, yelling at them is not going to help. It's like <laughs> being able to sit down, work with them or, or understand their point of view. That's something, you know, incredibly important and something I probably didn't learn until you know, maybe halfway to three quarters through my time there was that, you know, these guys haven't been playing rugby since they were six, mate. Like be able to help them, like put your ego aside again if you're not performing that well, the team's not performing that well and, and be able to, you know, help, help people. That's really good. You've got a very good view of the world, right? I reckon. And so what made you finish? Was that your final team? Uh, so that was, no, that was my, my kind of uh, my third, yeah, so my, th- my, my third of my fourth team, four teams in total. But, uh, yeah, and in terms of, of what made me finish, I think uh, I guess my, my perspective on things and having done it for a long time and, and certain, I guess, experiences I went through personally uh, kind of had me thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm approaching the end of this and I don't really know what's next. And, and that was something that, you know, was, was a little bit scary. I think uh, not knowing what you're, what you're wanting to do and, and spending your whole life wanting to do one thing, like that'll keep you up at night and it certainly did. So basically trying to figure out if I'm not going to do, like what's going to happen after sport? Is that what you're saying? Like, exactly, yeah. So yeah. What, what am I going to transition into? I, this, this, this sport, this game, it's, it's defined my whole life. So you know, I don't know what else I'm good at. It's kind of like that old, that old quote. I know it sounds a little bit lame, but it's like you know, life's barely good enough, barely long enough rather to get good at one thing, so be careful what you get good at. So I was like, I, d- I don't know what else I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what do you think you are good at now that you've also experienced potentially applying common principles to a new form of success. What do you think it is that you're good at? Was it rugby or was it something else? I think uh, it's, it certainly was rugby, I think. But uh, in terms of what, you know, what am I, what am I good at? Or I think a better answer would be what, what do I like doing? So for me, I like people. I think I'm like a pretty authentic person. I think what you see is what you get. And you know, my ability to wake up in the morning and, and speak to people is, you know, that doesn't feel like a job. I, I like learning about their business. I like learning about them and, and I like people. So why should I not excel in this if I liked passing rugby ball, I guess? Okay, well, let me change the question. What do you feel made you successful in rugby? What were you good at in, in order to get good at rugby? Yeah, it's a good question. I think maybe oh, it's, it's a little bit cliche, but, yeah, you're, you're kind of your, your outlook or your – your work rate or your your work ethic towards something. I think, you know, if you're – I've always been of the, the belief that, you know, if, if you're passionate about something and you love doing something, then, you know, success success is always going to follow that. So as long as, you're, as long as you're bought into what you're doing and you love what you're doing and you're passionate about what you're doing, then you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. So you're passionate about rugby. That's one thing. Would you say you are harder working than other members of your team or in comparison to the average – pro sports player, were you harder working, would you say, or would you say you're on par? I think for me I always had a, and again, not that flattering, but I, I definitely always had a, a chip on my shoulder. The guy that, you know, people maybe didn't think were, was going to have the career that he did, uh, the guy that was, you know, smaller than other people. But for me it was like, cool, you're there at the moment, but I'm going to catch up. Mm. And that was like, you know, that, that stuff, that's fuel. Like it's, that's, you know, like I love that. So for me it was like to watch yourself, like I said earlier, to – to catch these guys that were such superstars at school when, when I wasn't and, and to see yourself, you know, slowly month by month, year by year catch up and then all of a sudden they're behind you because you've done you know, X amount of work more than they have. Yeah, I, I really think just obviously from speaking to you and, and seeing you work that your superpower is definitely 
humility first is understanding, okay, I can get better, I need to get better. But it's also then the willingness to just practice and practice. Even when you started at Cub, when uh, current, like obviously at the moment you're you're growing the community of incredible business owners that we have at Cub and you'd never really had much experience speaking to business owners and even seeing you walk around the block for days or weeks it was that where you just walk around the block in Potts Point just pitching out loud, just talking about cover out loud, calling people and practicing it to them on the phone. Well, I think it was your dad even at some point, you calling your dad and just, dad, listen to this and and just speaking and, and, and you, you almost had, to, uh, no one has ever come into Cub and has done that before. It's, it was as if you were throwing the footy ball at the wall over and over again. And and I, I just think that humility is is, is first with you. You, you. You're humble and you, you're willing to learn from others. But then you have the, the heart that you're willing to practice and practice and practice to get there. And, and and finally your mindset is, is just an amazing one because some people see negatives or uh, some some people are victims like, Oh, I'm the smallest. Why can't I be bigger? (laughs) Why? I wish I was Tongan, you know, like (laughs) what, why I'm too small to play football. I can't do this. Whereas you, had the opposite approach. You're like, you think I'm too small. You, okay, I'm not there yet, but you, you watch how hard I work till I, till I get there. You, you you've got an incredible mindset, and I really think that the humility and your 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 hard work and practice, and, and then your view on the world, your mindset, they're, they're superpowers, and those are things that, okay, you were successful in rugby. Don't, don't forget, you're only 29. You know what I mean? You haven't even you've lived maybe a third of your life. There's plenty of time to have success in plenty of things. And when you're older, you've, you, you accelerate faster because you're just better and smarter. You've got more life experience. Yep. You understand what's, what's important in life. And, and I think those, those are superpowers that anyone listening um, uh, could benefit from, whether they be someone young that's probably in school playing rugby, right to, to someone like myself or other business owners listening that, that, um, uh, that need to remember, you know, humility, need to remember when bad things happen, that, that's fuel that keep working harder. And also need to remember you, we, you need to practice all the time. Like it's practice. Working is practice. Like when I finish my day, I should be thinking every day, I should be sitting down and saying, okay, what did I do good? What did I do bad? Or after you do any action, you know, re, it's like reviewing a game. Like Absolutely, yeah. what, what, what was the, what could we, what could I have done better? How could I have done that better than I did? Even if I did it well, yep. you know, and I think it's just, it's practice and, and, I mean, I reckon business is is a sport. You know, it, it's it it requires it's it requires a team. Yep. It requires hard work and dedication. It requires sacrifice. I mean, you left your family and moved across the world. That's sacrifice. Um, uh, it's it's all it's the same thing. They're fundamental principles for success, in my opinion. Yeah, I would one hundred percent agree. And so, why did you end up leaving footy? Why? How did that? How did that come to an end? I think, yeah, to kind of circle back to the the experience I was, I was speaking about. So there was, there was a couple of things I guess I went through on a personal level when I was playing that, you know, made me think that not that there's more to life than rugby, that just more that, you know, I'd gone through something and my perspective on things had changed. So like a bit of, I guess, context around that, I was I was actually playing over in England and the reason I, I did leave the club at the time, uh, you know, just one uh, one week in particular for, for no like apparent reason, I, I – walking around on the weekend and I was almost hitting my leg on things. I think it was, I went to get up and I fell over and I thought, 
And something's like right here. Didn't really think it was it was anything serious, but I went into training, uh, you know, that Monday. And Monday's normally the day where you kind of brush the cobwebs off from the weekend and you try to get to a certain uh, percentage of your max speed. So I actually went to sprint and I couldn't. So I thought, okay, I better actually, you know, tell the medical staff. So I did. And uh, they actually said, you know, let's let's get you a scan. Uh, it's probably just something neural in your leg, like something nervy. So I, I ended up going and getting the scan and I think it was a day or two later I, I got a tap on the shoulder uh, at breakfast to say, to say come downstairs. And I remember I walked into the room and it was, you know, our doctor, our physio, our coach and our head of performance and I was sitting there and everyone looked like someone had just, yeah, someone had just died almost. I was like, oh, no, I've done something. I'm in trouble here. And they kind of said, sat me down and said, you know, there's no real easy way to tell you this that we've, we've found a growth in your brain like we, we don't know what it is uh, it's 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 bled it's it's not looking good sort of thing and so automatically you think you know growth in your brain that's not good <laughs> so I thought um yeah they were like we need to do some more you know investigative studies well we're going to admit you to hospital and go from there is there is there anyone you can call and I'd actually broken my phone at the time so only person's number I knew off by heart was my mum so grabbed one of the boys' phones and, and called my mum. I'm not sure what time it was in, in Sydney and I'm not sure she wants to remember this phone call, but I said, Mum, I'm going to hospital. They've, they've found a growth in my brain. So Dad ended up, you know, getting out of bed, booking the first flight to London, coming to see me. And I spent kind of the next 17, 19 days, I think it was nearly three weeks, just kind of getting to the bottom with, with what's wrong. And I guess statistically speaking, if you're someone my age with a growth in your head, then it's – most likely a brain tumour and, and statistically speaking, it's not going to be a primary brain tumour, so it's going to be somewhere else in your body. So they uh, they went and did the, you know, some scans on me and uh, actually found a, a tumour sitting on the, the border of my lung and my heart. So, you know, I was I remember sitting there thinking when I was getting told this that, you know, not only this is this is not will I play again, this is like how long am I going to live? And I was like this is this is really tough and kind of over the course of the next few days in particular they, they you know, did more studies on me, more tests, and found out that it was it's actually two separate pathologies, so they weren't actually related at all. So I actually was diagnosed with something called a vascular malformation in my brain, so that had actually leaked, and they can't explain why, but just leaked a, a tiny bit of blood, caused me to have a stroke, which was affecting the, the right side of my brain to the you know, performance of my left leg in, in my body and uh, you know, put me on drugs to kind of counteract that. And, and that the silver lining to it all was that, you know, that this tumour that they found was, was something that would have given me a lot of dramas later in life but was, you know, absolutely fine. So as soon as I heard that and I said to the doctor, you know, you know what's what's the, like, prognosis here? Am I, am I going to be able to – am I living? Am I playing? Like, what's the go? And they said to me, uh, you know, that's, it's not out of the question playing again. And I remember when I got told that, my mindset straight away was, cool, switch straight back to how long is it going to take me to get back and play? Like I was out of survival mode. I was back into – you know, I'm, I, this is not going to be the end of my career. It's not going to be what – this is not going to be the story of me playing footy. You know, this happened to him, blah, blah, blah. So I, I remember sitting down and I, I even circled a date in my phone. and It was like maybe probably an unrealistic amount of time away to, to get back and play, but I circled it in my phone. I didn't tell anyone except for my parents. And every day I got up, I would literally work my ass off more than anyone in that club and you can happily ask anyone there – I was training when people were eating. I was up in the morning training when people were in bed. I was still training afterwards when people had gone home. It's like it was very much something that that chip on my shoulder all over again. Like I was going to get back from this. I didn't care what anyone said. And I think one of my kind of proudest moments was having that date circled in my phone and, and actually getting back and, and playing that game. Like that for me 
you know, not only was a fantastic achievement in the grand scheme of things, but I think you know, to answer that, the question of the story in the first place, the, the perspective that you gain on the back of that, like for me, that's very much the barometer of what I use to, to measure something that's difficult of. So, you know, this last 14 weeks in lockdown, sure, it was pretty, it was tough, it was, it was hard. And the, and the lockdown I spent over in the UK uh, from you know, last year onwards was tough, but nothing's ever going to be what I went through in that moment. So it's almost like this you know, measuring stick of, cool, this is hard, but is it really? Or is it just a narrative in my head that's making it hard? So you just kind of, you're almost bulletproofed from, from having experienced something like that. And, and for me, I don't tell a lot of people. It's kind of a confronting story at times, but you know, something I, th- I thought I would share because it certainly, I guess, details my mindset towards a lot of things. Yeah, and, and I mean, even myself, you didn't tell me that until a couple of months ago when we were casually sitting in the clubhouse having a beer <laughs> yeah. and you pulled that story out. But, <laughs> but I think that, I mean, I just think you're a tremendous human being and, and, and you actually, did you, just, did you just say that you actually did achieve your goal in playing, playing that game that you circled on the date in your phone? Yeah, yeah, I did. So the, I think it was October 18th, uh, we played a team in London and I got back and played it. My parents were actually there for it. Um, yeah, it was a, yeah, something I was, I was very proud of. I think it's, yeah, it was like, you know, that diagnosis itself was, you know, the initial one was, was so tough, but understanding that, you know, it's not over till it's over in that regard. Like I thought I was, my career was finished, but it wasn't. And I guess your ability to switch your mindset back into whatever you're doing, despite it being hard, that's something that I think is a great lesson and something I think I'm, I'm quite good at. I'm doing my ability to go, okay, that, that was pretty shit, but you know, park that, get on with whatever's next. I would argue that is very unique to have that. that. I mean, that just demonstrates the mindset we were saying before. You you weren't even thinking, oh, great, I can just live. You know, you were thinking, oh, great, wait a second, there's an opportunity I can still succeed in the thing that I want to do. It yeah. wasn't just like, oh, okay, yeah, Matt, I, yeah, I, I might live. You, you, had, you were confronted with, the very reality of finding out the worst thing you can find out. And the second you had a glimpse of hope, they gave you a glimpse of hope, you started, you, your narrative in your head was, if there is a glimpse, I can work hard enough to hit to get there. And, and you know, <laughs> who does that? It's like, think about it. Who, who, get, who finds out something like that? And you had a stroke. It was, it, it affected your brain's communicating with your leg. Couldn't even run. Then you're in hospital three weeks and then you literally go back to play football because you wanted to. You you overcame. It's you almost have to laugh because it's almost so unbelievable that you you can't help but but laugh at it because it's so unbelievable. Like yeah, yeah it's definitely one of those if you if you don't laugh you'll cry kind of moments. I yeah, think. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I think uh, yeah you kind of hear you hear people's opinions like the I remember getting told so many times it's it's ridiculous that you think you can still play but if all the leading people in you know in neuro and that side of things is saying there's nothing wrong you can play. Like this, we can't explain why this happened. It's most likely never going to happen again. Sure, that rehab process, that kind of five months or whatever it was, was, you know, learning to run again. That was, you know, that was tough. But, uh, yeah, I, I love when people say things like, oh, you, you won't be able to you won't be able to do that. You won't be able to do this. You've had something in your brain. You're never going to be able to tackle anyone again. I remember the first person, without making myself sound like the toughest man alive, I remember the first person that ran at me when the first game I got back and played, I was like, I need to make sure that people don't think I'm worried about this. So I literally flew into this guy, completely cut my lip. That had like I think four stitches in my lip, but it was worth it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just to show him I don't care. I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to do better than ever. Yeah, exactly. And imagine your parents 
in the you know in that stadium or wherever they were sitting and watching their son who had just overcome two tumors or, or growths whatever whatever they were weren't sure if he was going to live and then a couple of months later he's back on the football field I mean they probably weren't that happy that you were throwing yourself headfirst into another dude but <laughs> but I mean I can just imagine them them probably crying of joy being able to see that and, and I can imagine how proud um, your parents were to think god I mean I I feel proud and and uh, obviously we're just co- we're colleagues and friends but but um I can't even I, can't, I couldn't even describe the the amount of pride that your family must have uh, knowing that you're their son, that, that their son or whatever they, because they taught at the end of the day, they taught you that mindset. You know, kids kids learn from the people around them, and your parents obviously taught you that because it, it, it must be part of your personality as well. But which you also got from them anyway. <laughs> but but you know that they must be sitting shit. We we built a winner. You know, this this is someone who doesn't give up. This is someone who's going to win at anything. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, look what look what life just threw at him and and when most people would crumble, he's playing one on the, one of the most prestigious sporting fields that you can play on, on one of the toughest games you can, you can, you can play. Like, I just think that's thinking, I'm, I'm sure for yourself thinking about your parents sitting there watching you play that game must be pretty special. No. Man, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, certainly for dad, I think dad was very much like, you know, proud and very happy, I guess, you know, yeah, I guess proud would be the word from dad's point of view, but I think mum was more the, the worried side Yeah, <laughs> mum was more like, I don't think I can watch you play anymore, but uh, thankfully she did. And I think they're almost, to, you know, why I stopped to, to answer the question from before, I think by the time, you know, I did decide that, okay, it's time to it's time to pack this up. It's probably a sense of relief on their behalf as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was it was to it was so that they your mum would stop yeah, worrying. Yeah, mum was like, well. oh, thank God. Yeah, well, I I agree with. That. I think you owe I think you owe your mum that too. I, I think it's only fair. And honestly, you've you've got the fundamental, you've got the principles to success. I've, I probably never met, especially after this conversation with you. I don't think I've ever met anyone with better with better principles than you have. Uh, probably in my entire life, <laughs> and 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 it makes more sense now as to as to watching you grow within carbon, grow with, within business, it, it just it makes so much sense. Have you found that there is correlation between what made you successful in sports uh, as to what's making you now successful? Yeah, I think I think two things have probably rubbed off on me so far and, and yeah, it's very much been my first business type of environment. But I think firstly, you know, you, you say it a lot in sports that I guess process equals outcome. So if you're if your process is airtight and you've got the ability to adapt, then you know the the outcome should be the fun part. That should be the, that, that's taken care of itself. You've done the hard work. You're following your process, so that'll take care of itself. And I think the the second lesson that you know I see day to day, and and in reference to yourself, Anthony and Calvin in particular, and and Laura of course, uh, is that you know working hard is is one thing, and it's I don't think it's hard to work hard. I think you look at ninety percent of people, you know, across business or life in general. There's there's people putting in a good effort. I think the the hard part is the kind of the, the monotony of it all, the you know, turning up day on day, week on week, month on month, that consistency, you know, that's something that's directly applicable to both sports and business. You know, you, to be consistent, that's the hard part. You can have a good month, that's cool, but can you do it again and again and again? Or can you have a bad month, put it behind you and do it again or do it better rather? I think that 
two things. So they're the things that I see daily at Cub and, and certainly something that I use daily uh, when I was playing. And you're right. It is. I think monotony is is the 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 word that can be used because it does get repetitive. And there are things that you don't want to do that you don't even enjoy doing uh, often. There's so many things on a daily basis that I don't want to have to do that I don't enjoy doing them. Yeah. But but having the ability to to understand that, no, I need to do these things and, 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 and forcing yourself to all. My dad used to say to me about school, he goes, don't worry about school. I, I, I don't think there's much you're going to learn. But he goes, what's good about school is it forces you to be good at something that you don't want to do. <laughs> oh, that's fair. I, I like that. That's yeah. actually, I wish my dad had said that to me because I did not listen at school. Once. Yeah, me either. <laughs> but, but, but I did like that concept. I, I like the concept of, okay, well, I don't want to do this, but you know, it'd be cool to do well at, at something I didn't, I don't want to do. And I, I've carried that into to work all the time. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, and so you're, you're in Cub now, you're in a business environment. Uh, these are the things that you've done. How do you think you've grown as a person? And what, what is it like starting in a new, it, let's say it's basically a, all, a brand new sport for you. Yeah. You haven't done it before. You're in a brand new sport. You were at the highest level of a, a, your past sport or, or past uh, career, you're starting almost fresh uh, in a new sport that we call business. How was it, how was it to start from scratch and yeah. how have you grown as a person? Yeah, I think you, you've got to be able to, particularly when you're, you know, you've gone from being considered an expert in something or, or professional at something and you, you're completely starting all over again. So, you know, you've got to be able to leave your ego at the door in, in that type of environment. I think, I think I'm, I'm quite good at doing that. So I think, I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask questions and, and thankfully you guys aren't afraid to answer them for me. So I think, you know, blowing up Anthony and, and Calvin's phones, you know, in lockdown twice a day or, or just sitting next to them on a daily basis, that ability to be willing to teach me is, is one thing. But I think, you know, in terms of my growth as a person, it's, you know, you, you can ask all the questions in the world, you can, you know, make all the mistakes in the world, but you've got to learn every time. So for me, whilst I've definitely made mistakes and still am making mistakes, I think your ability to, to learn from each one of them, that's certainly something I'm learning every day and your ability to kind of like what I just said, you know, you guys have put a fantastic process in place. Don't, don't veer away from that. Stay with that process because you know the results are on the other side of it. So I think that's you know, something that I'm loving on a daily basis. The, the process I'm following, I, I like doing it. I, it works. So why would I not keep doing it? And do you feel that – how do you feel – being a part of Cub has impacted you uh, as a person. How do you feel you've grown? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you know, grown in terms of you know, my business acumen is one thing. I think you know, you're not you're not really exposed to that playing footy. You're quite insular within your own industry. Now, all of a sudden, I'm speaking to people from from industries I didn't even know existed. So, in terms of your personal growth or your business acumen growing in that regard, I think. That's you know, what we say to the members. There's there's no real better environment to be in and and learn about business. It's it's accelerated business school for me yeah. personally because yeah. I've never been to business school, but I'd imagine this is what it's like. <laughs> me either. So I, yeah. <laughs> and we're pretty good at it at Cub. So it, it's worked for us. But I, I I agree. It is it's like accelerated business school. And did you find at the start what I've seen also in your change, a growth from you, a change from you, is that at the start you almost were not being yourself when talking to potential members or members, you, you know, you were just finding your groove. You were, you were focusing too much perhaps on, on what you weren't, you were too aware of what you didn't know yet. And I feel now that 
you have learned that people are people and people like people and you're really being yourself and, and obviously you're now involved and you've now onboarded into the community so not just some business owners, you've you've brought into this community some tremendously successful people, all of whom praise you from the, just from the start. And I think what that the reason why is that they respect you as a person. And I think being you, and, and this is a lesson for all listeners, just being you, I mean, I, I hate it always sounds kind of lame, people like be authentic. You know, it, it, it's kind of that, but but just being yourself and it makes you – and you're impressive. If you're not an impressive person and being yourself, mm, okay. But, <laughs> but if, if, if you're someone like you that has a great mindset and you've got proven track record, you know, you, you, you're an incredible person. Being yourself is a huge asset. Um, and um, do, you, do you feel that that has – do you feel you've become more confident in being yourself when talking to other very successful business people? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when you when you initially start, you're a little bit highly strung, you're a little bit stiff, you know, you're speaking to people that, you know, are out of your weight class, so to speak. So, yeah, you, there's a bit of almost rigidness and uncomfortability that comes into the conversation. But I think the more you do it and the more important, I mean, I guess the, the more you learn that it's important to be yourself and it is corny, but as soon as you're yourself, then you, know, you understand that the people that resonate with you are the ones that, that want to be involved in the community. And, you know, we're very similar as a, as a team, I guess, across the board. So, if someone's resonating with me, then they're going to resonate with the rest of the team and they're going to resonate with what we're building here. So all of a sudden that process of bringing them on board the community has made so much easier. And um, when I was younger, and also because you, especially like when you're new to business and they start throwing all these terms at you and all these like letters <laughs> that are put together, yeah. what acronyms or whatever they're called, and you're like, what the fuck is this talking about? <laughs> I, when I was younger, I used to Google the words or the acronyms or whatever they'd say while they said it and look it up. Like I'd read it while I that we're in the meeting and then I would, I would continue. I would, I would just pretend I knew what that was. But those are little things. Yeah, they're funny enough, not the important things. And actually what I discovered is when you don't know, if you ask the person what it is, the person actually respects you because now you're being honest. And absolutely. also they feel, oh, I like this person. I just taught them something. Yeah. You know, they feel yeah, good. They, it's like, it's like a, a, when you teach someone something, like you teach your child something. You know, that's a connection. There's a there's a bond there. You know, if you don't know something, you ask someone, they teach you, you've now bonded. Yeah. You know, they've, they've shared knowledge. They've shared wisdom with you. That's something you typically do only with family, friends, people that, are, you know, colleagues, staff, colleagues. Like these are people close to you. So if they've shared that with you, you've got that touch point, you know, that yeah, thank absolutely. you. I always found that that's, um, that always served me well, particularly when I was younger, as, as a young entrepreneur, and I was talking to all these older business people, um, and not older, all the members <laughs> will get upset. You're not old, you were just older than me at the time. Um, um, but that always served me really well, I found. And you've had a tremendous experience with different cultures and different styles of leadership. What would you say are the best things you've seen in terms of culture, how to create a great culture? And what would you say are the best in terms of leadership and any downfalls as well? I think something that we do fantastically well and something that I've seen done really, really well in sports is is almost, and this is not going to be the case in every single business, but you know, having that almost flat structure and that you know, not that big of an obvious hierarchy is something that's, you know, to, the ability to make, you know, the, the last guy that's earning no money that's playing with your team, his ability to make him feel as important as the guy that's your top earner, your top player, whatever it is, business or sport. So I think for me, I've been a part of teams where that hierarchy existed and you almost get this like 
mutiny in in certain parts of the company or the team. And I think that's toxic. That will mm. literally eat away at the team. So for me, I think having that ability to have touch points and relationships with everyone you're working with, that's one thing. Knowing the right buttons to push to get the best out of that person and that only comes from knowing the person personally. So if you're not willing as a coach or a business owner to, to get to know your staff and, and to really care about them, then how are you expecting them because they might not be built like a athlete or someone that's entrepreneurial like you. How are you expecting them to rock up and do nine hours or 10 hours or 12 hours in a day? They're just going to do the bare minimum because that's what you're giving them. Oh, I completely agree. Those are both exceptional, uh, exceptional rights. And I think as business owners, <laughs> if we can, everyone can, can definitely, relate, definitely relate to those. All right, you've got a favourite quote and I want you to read it because I just think it's so you, especially after listening <laughs> to this conversation. What, what's your, what's your favourite quote? Yeah, I think my my favourite quote and, and kind of embarrassingly enough, I always used to write it on my – so before I played, I'd write down, you know, a couple of notes of what I needed to do, what I needed to focus on. And at the top of every time I'd, I'd write this quote from a, a book I've read and I, I don't read that many books uh, unfortunately, but it's uh, called Slaying the Dragon by Michael Johnson, an ex – um, U.S. Olympic sprinter, he won, he won the 100 and 200 metres. And his quote in the book, and it's actually said a lot throughout, is that, you know, natural talent plus opportunity times hard work equals success. So that's that's something that I, I kind of always wrote before I, you know, before I played a game. And it kind of just details that, you know, my whole, my whole story really, like I wasn't the most naturally talented guy, but I worked my ass off and, and when that opportunity came, it, it equaled that success. <laughs> that quote is so you. What it, <laughs> you're such a champion. <laughs> Um, Michael, thank you so much um, for, for being, I guess, so open. I understand that you, you haven't shared that with a lot of people and, and you're sharing it today on the podcast for the benefit of others to learn from your experiences and, and, and to sh- from, from the good and the, and the difficult experiences that you've had. To the listeners, if you want to connect with Michael on LinkedIn, uh, find out more information about him, uh, go to cub.club forward slash podcast uh, and you will be able to see all the uh, tips and tricks that he's got to share there. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Say hey. He's an absolute champion, as you already know. Dow, I can't tell you how proud we are to have you on this team. Um, we, we're going to do such big, tremendous things uh, together, and we, we we wouldn't be able to do them without, have, without you. So we're incredibly lucky to have you on this team. As our members already have, have learned and our team uh, would say the exact same thing if they're all here. But uh, thank you for today. And uh, let's get back to work, yeah? Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show.